Welcome to episode 256 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Fast, Feast, Repeat, a comprehensive guide to delay, don't deny, intermittent fasting. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends, I'm about to tell you how to get three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of premium grass-fed, grass-finished steak tips, all for free, plus $20 off. That's right, we're talking pounds of meat for free, plus $20 off. Friends, I love meat and seafood. My favorite way to get it is ButcherBox. It has been for years, and it's one of those things where I just sort of become more and more obsessed the more I use it. Especially with all the greenwashing that's going on today with meat and seafood, there's a lack of transparency, it can be hard to know what you're actually getting, and it can be expensive. ButcherBox addresses all of that. By directly partnering with farmers and fishermen, ButcherBox cuts out the middleman of the grocery store and directly delivers delicious meat and seafood straight to your door. And they have the highest standards. Their salmon, for example, is wild caught. Their beef is 100% grass fed and 100% grass finished. Their chicken is free range and organic, and it all tastes delicious. I love their chicken, love their meat, love their seafood. They have amazing scallops as well. And you can really find the collection of food that you want that works for you and your family. They have curated boxes, so you can get exactly what you want as fresh as possible because yes, meat and seafood that is immediately frozen is fresher than meat that is waiting out and never frozen. That's because it's frozen at its peak of freshness. It's funny because people kind of think it would be the opposite. Like, oh, I need never frozen meat and seafood. No, 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 no. You want frozen. You want meat and seafood that was immediately frozen and then shipped to you, which is what ButcherBox does. I eat a lot of steak at restaurants. ButcherBox's fillets are divine, way better than anything I would get at a restaurant. Their other cuts are amazing as well. With their seafood, I know I can trust them that I'm actually getting what they say because yes, there is a lot of scams in the seafood industry and their chicken also tastes amazing. It's free range and organic and tastes delicious. With ButcherBox, you don't have to worry about what's for dinner and ButcherBox has an incredible offer for our audience. You can have your choice of a weeknight meal essential for free in every order for a whole year. Just go to butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use ifpodcast to choose either three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of grass-fed, grass-finished premium steak tips plus $20 off. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use code ifpodcast to choose your free offer and get that $20 off. Butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast with code ifpodcast. I will put all this information in the show notes.
One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 256 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? Well, I'm cold. And yesterday, the weather was perfect. And I went and sat in the sun, and it was beautiful, and I wore flip-flops. And today, I'm back in Uggs holding a mug of warm water. It's cold where you are? I'm cold. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like rainy. I was so excited because, well, I was excited when it was cold here, but I feel like it's been getting warm, which has been disheartening. Have you been outside today? No. It's 51 degrees and raining. Wonderful. No, it's not wonderful. I'm freezing. Yesterday was like 70. Yeah, that was a problem. It was beautiful. You don't like 70? Come on now. I can't imagine you wouldn't like 70. No. 
I get sad when I look at the weather forecast and it says 70. I want it to be in the 40s. Okay. Well, then you probably should not live in Georgia. I know. <laughs> you need to go to, I don't know, the Arctic? Where where would it never get to the 70s? I don't know. Basically. I like the 70s in LA because it gets cool in the evening still. Okay. I have a random question. Okay. Did you ever get night terrors? Mm, night terrors as a kid? Yes. You know, I don't know. I know I always was like, I don't think I had really what you would call night terrors. I remember being very, like, anxious as a child. It had to do with us moving, and my parents got divorced, and then we moved to another state. And I remember being very anxious and, like, high-strung at night when it would be time to go to bed, but I don't think I had night terrors. Have you ever had the experience where you wake up, but you, like, you're still asleep, so you're, like, you're interpreting your environment incorrectly like a dream but you're awake but you're awake but you don't you feel like you were still in your dream no okay then no i don't know what you're talking about i don't i used to get night terrors i don't anymore but i had something happen last night that reminds me of night terrors but it wasn't the same thing but it's the concept of waking up and being awake and knowing your environment but for some reason part of your brain still asleep so you're interpreting your environment incorrectly so with Night terrors, you see scary things in your environment that aren't there. That's what night terrors are. I, I, yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me if I did or didn't. But I remember I was a high-strung little kid. I don't have memories of having night terrors, but that doesn't mean I didn't because <laughs> I would have to ask my mom. I mean, I definitely had them and I remember them. Then I probably didn't. I just, I do remember being very like emotional at bedtime and like hysterical about not wanting to go to bed and be left alone. Like I didn't want to be left alone, but I don't know if I had night terrors or not. I don't have any memory of them. You'd probably remember them. Probably so. I would always see like spiders. Like I'd wake up and see spiders and then I would have to look for the spider because every single time I would, I would wake up and see it and it would take me a while to convince myself that this time, it, you know, that it wasn't real this time. Like it would happen all the time. So I'd like turn the lights on. This happened like in high school too. Like, and I turn the lights on and like look for the spider. Oh no, I didn't have that. Okay. Last night what happened, this was so weird. I'm just fascinated by like the brain states. Last night I woke up and looked at the ceiling and the lighting from the window was making a perfect arrow like pointing to the window. It's hard to describe, but basically there was like a arrow made of light on the wall, on the ceiling, pointing to the window. It, it was real. I wasn't making it up, but my brain, I spent five minutes staring at it, thinking it was, thinking it was, I mean, I was terrified. I was like, it's a sign that there's like something outside. Like I could not convince myself that it was just a light. Like I thought it was a sign. And then every time I woke up, it was still there. It was weird. But literally five minutes laying there awake, staring at it, contemplating it, thinking that like the world was ending. Oh, gosh. Now, I have woken up in like an anxious state with weird thoughts in my head that suddenly feel really like the world is ending. That kind of waking up. And I don't know if it was a dream or just being anxious. Brain is just really interesting. It is. So that that's my random thing. The other random thing is I interviewed Dr. Gundry again. Oh, how'd that go? It went very well. And what's his new book? I forgot. Cracking the Keto Code. Okay. I had interviewed, it was 
perfect timing because I'd interviewed Dom D'Agostino a few days prior all about ketones. And then I interviewed Dr. Gundry all about ketones and they had different opinions. That's the way so many people are, (laughs) which is almost why I'm like, y'all, fast feast repeat. That's it. (laughs) It doesn't matter all those other little things. (laughs) We don't have to tell you exactly what is happening behind the scenes, but your body knows and it's doing it and you don't have to know. That's why I'm the complete opposite. That's why I'm like, I want to hear every perspective. But, you know, when they disagree, that's where I am at the at this point in my life at the age of 52. You know, I would like, I like to hear it. It's interesting. But when experts who are very, very smart have wildly different opinions, I'm like, you know what? It doesn't even really matter. It doesn't matter. All I know is my body knows what to do. That's literally where I am. I mean, I like to understand what's happening. And I feel like I do, but maybe I don't. <laughs> maybe we've got it all wrong. <laughs> I want to know everything. I'm kind of at the point where I feel like even the things we think we know, we might not really know, so it really doesn't matter. Oh, I see. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, you know, we might think this is all what's happening, and then in five years, we'll think it's something completely different. And so really, it doesn't matter. I mean, I do like to know. So, you know, don't get me wrong. I like to know the science behind things, how things work, but only to a certain point. Because then when we start getting deeper and deeper and deeper, we realize how many things are unknown. Like, for example, going back to like elementary science teaching, we teach even right this minute, if you go into an elementary classroom teaching about the structure of an atom, they're teaching it wrong. That's not true, what they're teaching. It's not even close to what an atom really is like. And so I just am like, you know, we're learning all this stuff. I don't know what is true and what... <laughs> what we just think. Anyway, I mean, I literally think I know nothing. That's why I want to hear everything because I have no idea. And I don't know if anybody has any idea, but that's why we can all keep searching and try to get closer. I do love science. So don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that I don't. I just am like, you know, I don't need to know all how that's doing it in the background. I know autophagy is doing something great. I don't need to know the minute that it's doing whatever it's doing. I know ketosis is beneficial. (laughs) I know that I'm having it. (laughs) Anyway. Well, yes, yes. I'm glad you had a good interview with him. It was good. Shall we? Or is there anything else new with you? Well, no. I do have some new interesting things that I'm not ready to share yet, but some really things that are interesting. We're not quite ready, like I said, to share. So it's kind of exciting. I can't wait to be able to share because, you know, I like to (laughs) say what I'm doing. I'm just not quite there yet. I'm just going to tease it. Yeah, it's personal life, not professional life. So awesome. That's it. Shall we jump into everything for today? Absolutely. All right. So to start things off, we have a question from Melissa. The subject is history of overeating and IF. And Melissa says, I've been doing IF for eight months. I'm 5'5 and 138 pounds. When I started this, I lost a few pounds and it was great, but I'm back to where I started with those stubborn 10 pounds. Recently, I've been listening to the Brain Over Binge podcast. Side note, I booked that author, which is very exciting. She has a new book coming out. Wait, wait, was it her? No, 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 no. It's I get them confused. It's the Bright Line Eating woman. Oh, okay. She's Her, her new book's already out. Oh, well, she's coming on for it. <laughs> Both of them have a similar perspective, I think. No sugar, no flour. Bright line eating is no sugar, no flour. Oh, I thought bright line eating is about like bright lines, like no sugar, no flour, but like basically saying no. 
And I think that's what brain over binge is about too. Maybe it's just saying no, but like you can never have sugar and you can never have flour on Brightline. Never. And also I think she hates intermittent fasting. What is her new book? I can't remember the name of it, but you know, I keep my eye on the, like it popped up, you know, in the weight loss arena when it first came out. So that's how, that's how I know it's coming out. Cause I do keep my eye. I like to see how fast Feast Repeat is doing and um, cleanish. Well, just FYI, like I said, I don't think she likes intermittent fasting at all. And she's like, no sugar, no flour ever. I know some people really do feel that their brains can't tolerate sugar and flour. So it might be, you know, something that that works for them. And they they need to avoid those things. You know, maybe like, you know, someone, the same parts of the brain that light up with drugs, for example. I don't know. I don't find, for me, that's not the case. I can have a little bit of sugar. I can have flour. I don't feel like I'm just like a drug addict for it at all. But I know that some people do describe it that way. And I believe them that that's how they feel. That's the way I feel more so. Maybe not quite to that extent, but... It feels that way to you when you consume it. Is that what I'm asking? Mm-hmm. See, I don't. Her new book is Resume. It came out in December. Resume the powerful reframe to end the crash and burn cycle of food addiction. Yep. She's very much a, here's the things, never, never have these things. And I, like I said, for the people who need that, that kind of approach, it's, you know, I, I know some people in my delay, don't deny community who follow her work and find that they can't do sugar and flour personally. Interestingly, one of one of them, she's an intermittent fasting coach. She's lovely. I actually met her. We had dinner together in Myrtle Beach. She happened to be there one time when I was there, and we met. And she's been on my podcast. She does intermittent fasting. She also can't have the sugar and the flour, but she was a drug addict. Now, she tells her story on the podcast, so it's not like you know I'm telling things about her I shouldn't tell. But she was a drug addict and gave up the drug. So I think certain brains are more likely to light up from you know certain stimuli. That's interesting because I was listening. I'm prepping to interview Chris Masterjohn, which is exciting. I'm actually going to talk about him a little bit in our next question, assuming we get to it. But I was listening to him on Peter Tia, and they were discussing the COMT gene, the warrior versus warrior. So Worrying versus fighting. Yeah. Do you worry or fight, right? How it related to addiction that they were talking about was, okay, see if I get this right. So the warrior, so the person who worries, <laughs> their gene does not break down dopamine that fast. So you have a lot of dopamine that sticks around. You get really fixated. You ruminate, but you can be really like laser focused. Both traits have you know good and bad to them. The warrior, the fighter, breaks down dopamine really fast. So they're more like flexible and don't get as fixated on things. But the addiction aspect was, I think that type's more likely to get addicted because they go through the dopamine so quick. Mm-hmm. So they, you like constantly need more. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Like a dopamine releasing substance. You would need to keep pressing the lever because the dopamine's going away, basically. And I guess probably most of us are somewhere along the continuum. So we're not like on one end or the other. We're somewhere in the middle. And so I really do believe that our brain chemistries are different. And so, you know, I can have sugar, flour, whatever, take it or leave it. I mean, I like it, but I'm not like looking for my next fix kind of a thing. And it doesn't make me binge, but I know that some people do. So anyways, (laughs) so she's been listening to Brain Over Binge podcast, which again is somebody different, but I think it's, it's a similar concept with the 
the bright lines. It's like just saying no, I think. She said, I realized that I have an issue with overeating. I've tried a few different IF patterns. I shoot for 18 to 20 fast hours a day. This is pretty easy at this point. I exercise five to six days a week, 30 to 60 minutes at varied intensities. ADF doesn't really interest me. Here's my question. After eight months, I don't feel like I've really had appetite correction and I still have the tendency to overeat in my window. I don't always make the best food choices, but I do strive to make healthier choices. My food choices have been worse with this home isolation and stress is not helping. I feel like I can't get the mental game under control to make IF a long-term success. What can I do to get my mind in the right spot for this to work long-term? All right. That's a great question. And, you know, it's easy to to say, just get your mind right. <laughs> but I mean, I can't tell you how to get your mind in the right spot. I don't think either of us can. You've got to get your mind in the right spot. You've got to, I mean, you can reread the mindset chapter of Fast, Feast, Repeat, where I talk about the importance of mindset, but I can't tell you how to get there. You've got to flip that switch yourself. And for me, it helps me to know why I'm doing intermittent fasting, right? You know, I want to go back to your your weight and height. You're 5'5", 138 pounds. That is a very healthy weight for your height. You're not overweight. You're not even close to overweight. You're right in the middle of that healthy weight range. I do understand that you would like to lose 10 pounds, and I get it. If I gained 10 pounds from where I am right now, I would want to lose them too. So I, you know, 10 pounds, you have the right to want to lose 10 pounds, but you are at a very healthy weight. I just wanted to put that, put that out there. But when I disconnect why I'm doing intermittent fasting now, like if I got on the scale, I'm 5'5", five five, if, if I got on the scale and I weighed 138 pounds right this minute, I would still keep doing intermittent fasting even if I never got below 138 again for the rest of my life. Because now I do intermittent fasting long term, not so the scale will change. I do intermittent fasting now because it's a healthy way to live. So that mindset shift is really the one that was most powerful for me. So I guess even though I can't tell you how to get your mind in the right spot, if you shift from I have to lose these 10 pounds to I am going to do intermittent fasting for the rest of my life because it's a healthy way to live, that might be the thing that flips that switch and makes it a long-term success for you. That's certainly what did it for me. So let's talk about those stubborn 10 pounds that you would like to lose and why you don't have appetite correction. I really feel like it has to do with that one sentence that you said, I don't always make the best food choices, but I do strive to make healthier choices. For me, food quality and appetite correction go hand in hand. I tell the story in Fast, Feast, Repeat about the day that I had McDonald's. I had like a Big Mac and fries and a Coke. And that was plenty of calories, plenty of fuel, right? You know, I fueled my body with lots of energy. It wasn't good quality, but it was plenty. I didn't, you know, need more fuel, but I was so unsatisfied and I was still like, quote, hungry. So I absolutely did not have appetite correction from a McDonald's Big Mac and fries and a Coke. But when I eat really highly nutritious foods that are nutrient-dense, lots of vegetables, good protein, beans, eggs, avocado, things like that, you know, I could eat the calorie equivalent. Of course, I don't count calories, but I have to get that out there. I could eat the calorie equivalent of that Big Mac fries and Coke meal and have amazing appetite correction. 
Food quality makes all the difference in the world for me. So if you feel like you're, you know, not making the best food choices, start with really highly nutritious foods. There's a term in the nutrition space called crowding out. You crowd out the things that are not the best with things that are the best, and you're not going to have as much room for them. So if you start with highly nutritious foods, you tell yourself, you know what, I've got some ice cream. I want to have that later. But really nourish your body well. Then later, if you want to, you know, add in a little bit of that, you know, whatever it was, ice cream for me would be the one, then add it in. That's how I'm clean-ish. But if I start with the nutritious foods, I don't really want that much ice cream. I just want a little bit is fine. If I started with ice cream, hello, I could just eat all the ice cream in the world and still not probably be full and satisfied. So I really think that might be what, what you're missing out on. Also, you are doing a good bit of exercising and that makes you hungry. Like for me, you know, you know how they call it working up a good appetite? You said that you have the tendency to overeat. You might not be quote, overeating to the point that you think you are. I think we've been trained, especially as women, to think we're supposed to have dainty appetites. And especially if you're in the paradigm of eating five, six small meals a day, that sort of thing, then you might really need to eat tiny little amounts. But if you're having a you know, a 20-hour fast and a four-hour window and you've exercised for 60 minutes at high intensity, you need to have a lot of fuel and your body's going to tell you that. So it might feel like you're overeating when really it's exactly the amount of food you're supposed to have. But you're thinking you're supposed to be eating this little diet amount, but your body's like, no, we worked out hard today. Give us more food. So by combining high quality food choices to open your window, you know, our bodies don't count calories, they count nutrients like my Big Mac story illustrates. By having the high quality foods, understanding that you might need to eat more than you think you do, and also realizing you're at a really healthy weight for your height and really just changing the quality of your food might really help make, you know, get get that needle going down a little bit. You know, put all those things together. And I definitely don't think you need to do ADF unless you like really want to. But again, I want to reiterate from what I said before. If you shift that mental game from I am doing intermittent fasting to lose 10 pounds to I am doing intermittent fasting because it's the healthiest way I can live my life and I can do some tweaks to, you know, to see if I can lose those 10 pounds or not. I think that might flip that switch to make it feel like a long-term lifestyle. I just said a lot of things. Awesome. You said a lot of things that I was going to touch on, so that is excellent. Yeah, I actually just finished a book by Nir Ayal called Indistractable, bringing him on the show as well. And it wasn't about it wasn't about eating or anything like that. It was about not being distracted in our environment. But one of the things that he talks about that this made me think of was when there's something like a trigger or a habit that we're trying to break. You know, there's basically internal and external triggers. He he goes through four different things, but two of them, one is an internal trigger and one is an external trigger that could be prompting that. And so the internal trigger would be probably stuff that she talks about in the Brain Over Binge podcast. But I really like this this process that he talks about. I've started to do it with, with my own self. So basically when there's something you don't want to do or don't want to engage in, you notice the feeling that happened right before that. So it's an internal feeling and it usually will always be there. And 
he talks more about how to actually deal with it or replace it or, you know, what you do with that. But I, I do think it's really fascinating because it can make you realize with your overeating experience, for example, or your cravings or your lack of appetite correction, you know, is that coming from a place of needing more nutrients like Jen was talking about, or is it coming more from a place of unsatisfied craving for whatever reason? And noticing the feeling right before that might be pretty telling. There's, you know, there's so much you could do on the mindset side of things. If it is more of like we we're talking about earlier, more of an addiction type thing rather than a nutrition type thing. Either way, you know, really focusing, like Jen said, on your nutrition quality is going to be huge. I think a lot of people find that if they make their meals centered around a moderate to higher protein meal, that can really, really help with cravings. And I also think it goes back to the sentence that Jen said, and that's why I'm going to bring in the external triggers. So the sentence, I don't always make the best food choices, but I do strive to make healthier choices. First of all, I applaud you for striving to make healthier choices. That is amazing. And it can be really hard to do with our processed food environment today and things that we're exposed to. Jen, do you feel like we get this sort of sentence from a lot of people struggling with this issue? Like they're they're trying to make healthier choices. Yeah. Yeah. We do get that a lot. And and that's such a that's such an interesting phrase, you know, I'm striving to make healthier choices because if if we went out on the street and asked 100 people, you know, what's a healthy way to eat, we'd get 100 different answers. The perspective I was taking from it is it's often the focus on the... Oh, the intermittent fasting? No, no. The focus is on like, I'll try to do that rather than that's what I do. So this actually goes into something else, which he talks about these, and I'm going to go back to the external triggers as well. I'm all over the place. But he talks about the different ways that people can make habit change and what is most effective. And one of the most effective ways to make habit change is to have an identity change. So not not like not become an entirely new person, but to have an identity change around the issue. So they did a study, it was on voting. I don't remember the exact numbers. I could look them up, but it was a striking difference between people who actually voted based on the initial criteria was there was people who said they were going to vote in the poll. They responded by saying they were going to vote. And then they did a poll where they asked people if they were voters. And the people who said they were voters were way more likely to vote than people who literally said they were going to vote. So it goes into this whole identity thing. The analogy here is, you know, we can say we're going to vote and, you know, try to vote and do all of this. And that's good because it's an intention and it's something we want to do. So that's great. But we're actually much more likely to vote if we just say I'm a voter. So the way this all ties into this is, you know, maybe instead of striving to make healthier choices, you could ad- try adopting or trying on an identity of just saying you make healthy choices rather than, you know, trying to or striving to. And then you can make it even easier for yourself so that the identity barrier is one thing that helps or boundaries. I think they're called boundaries, but having actual, actual boundaries can help that because it's hard to combat what's right in your face. So if you're trying to make healthier choices, you could just make healthier choices and those foods that you know are problem foods for you, just don't have them in the house. That would be getting rid of external triggers, creating a um, like an actual boundary to engaging in whatever habit you're trying not to engage with. Can I pop in something there that just came to my mind? It's Yoda. 
try not, do or do not. There is no try. <laughs> That's one of my favorite Yoda quotes. I thought about that so long and I put that in my my What When Wine book because I thought it, I talk about in What When Wine how I never really understood that phrase until I did intermittent fasting. And then it made perfect sense because you don't try to do intermittent fasting. You either do or you don't. There's no try. You do or you don't. Well, exactly. Right. So same thing here. And again, I and I don't want to discount or not be encouraging because it is amazing to strive to make healthier choices. So I'm not trying to downplay that. I'm just saying a slight shift where you just make healthier choices. You get rid of all those things that are causing the problems. Just don't have them in the house. Or be clean-ish. Don't start with them. Do you want to elaborate on that? Because I don't think people might not know what you're saying exactly. I mean, I said it a minute ago. I said how I, you know, I start with things that are nutritious and then I crowd out and then I might have the ice cream and I'm clean-ish. So yes, I think there's a lot that can be done there, especially if you feel like you can't get the mental game under control. Stack the cards in your favor. Do everything you can to stack the cards in your favor. It can sound scary to make things seemingly more intense in your approach, but can actually give you freedom because you're not fighting all of these temptations and things like that. So yes, that was all over the place. That book, Indistractable, it's actually really short. So it might be something to listen to. Again, it's not really about food specifically, but it's it's got a lot of really fascinating information in it. Anything else? Nope. I think, I think we said a lot of things. I hope that it helps, Melissa. And I like what you said too about Focusing on the nutrient-fulfilling foods would probably really help. You know how you said she should tell herself, I eat healthy foods. She should also say, I am an intermittent faster. Yes, exactly. Because then, I mean, that's that's who I am. I mean, I am an intermittent faster, and so that is my identity. And so I don't have to get up every day and decide if I'm going to do intermittent fasting. That's just what I do. It's, it's who I am. Who and another one is saying I don't instead of I can't. So instead of saying I can't have those foods, I don't have those foods. Making it a choice. Yeah. Like I don't use artificial sweeteners. And if you offer me something that has artificial sweeteners, I will not eat it. <laughs> also, I I could say I can't because that would not upset me because I just really don't want to and I don't like them. But anyway, same same kind of a thing. So shall we go on to our next question? Yes, we have a question from Nancy, and the subject is iron. She says, first, love the podcast, love the books, love you guys. Thank you, Nancy. She says, I always learn a lot, and my own journey is crazy. IF does not work for me for anything other than feeling like I don't have to focus on food all day, but I love that. In terms of weight loss or anything like that, this is not my jam. Never worked for me, and I've been doing this almost since you guys started this podcast, thanks to my daughter. However, that is not what this email is about. Now, i got to stop there, Melanie. And when she says, IF does not work for me for anything, I just have to like, I have to have a little, dig into that a little bit, because just because it's not working for weight loss, Nancy, doesn't mean it's not doing amazing other things. That's that's the thing. You know, okay, so you haven't lost any weight, but I bet it's done a lot of amazing things inside your body that you can't identify. It's kind of like when people ask me, you know, what has your vibration plate done for you? 
how has it helped you? And I say, well, I don't know because there's no, you know, path I've been on where I didn't use it. I have used it. So I'm not sure how much muscle mass it's helped me maintain because I don't have a study where the gen didn't do it. <laughs> Here's the gen who did it. Here's the gen who didn't. I only know the one who did it. So like for Nancy saying that intermittent fasting hasn't worked for her, well, who knows what would have happened if she hadn't done intermittent fasting? Does that make sense? Am I making myself clear? So, like, I think that it it might not have given you weight loss, Nancy, but I want you to tell yourself, kind of like we just were talking about with Melissa, what you tell yourself. Change what you're saying and say, intermittent fasting is my secret to living a healthy life because I really think that it's it's a... It's a healthy way to live, even in the absence of weight loss. It is doing something for you. That's I just I had to throw that out there. You know, Chad does it. Didn't need to lose weight. Didn't want to lose weight. Doesn't want to, like would be upset if he lost weight. You know, Mark Matson of Johns Hopkins. He's been doing intermittent fasting since I think the eighties. They don't do it for weight loss. They do it for the health benefits. So never, never, never lose sight of that. So that's. Do you have anything you want to add? Just that I agree completely. Okay. So anyway, I'm glad you're doing it, Nancy. I'm glad you're a listener. I'm glad that you're still enjoying doing it and that it gives you freedom from that focus on food because that, even if that was all that it did, really, that's huge. I mean, that is huge. All right. So she says, okay, so I have something a little bit weird for you guys. I've been playing with Wim Hof breathing for around two years and cold showers for about six months. I have tried to give blood for a couple of years, and sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't because my iron numbers are not high enough, and they can't take your blood unless your iron is at a certain level. So I went to give blood a couple of months ago, and I wasn't sure if I'd be able to or not, but after they did my finger prick, the text said, your blood numbers are great. Perfect. You're doing great. My numbers were usually just over the line in the past when I could give blood. The only thing I did differently was cold showers and sometimes putting my feet in ice and water. Ever since then, and it's only been twice, so this isn't a study, but ever since then, I've been able to go in and just give blood no problem. Before that, I tried different iron supplements, liquid iron, which only turned my teeth black, which I stopped immediately and brushed like crazy till the stains went away. But this cold water stuff, I have a feeling that cold water really helps with iron. I looked it up just on Google, not PubMed or anything, and there was something about it, not anything that was earth-shattering, but I thought, well, this could be a thing. I know you are both into research to a level that I will never be and have resources that I don't have, so I thought I would just throw this out after listening to the podcast where you talked about the woman who could be low iron. I thought I would share my crazy experience. Sincerely, Nancy. All right, Nancy. Thank you so much for your question. So really quick thing. I don't really think I have that many more resources than other people as far as research goes. It's actually very easy in our world today to access research and information. So there are books. That's where I get a lot of my information. Google Scholar is like my favorite place to be. Uh, there are so many studies. You can't always read the full study, but you often can. If you sign up for a ResearchGate account, you can often get the full study through that platform. Or if you're married to a college professor, he can get you anything. Or if you went to college anywhere, you often, as an alumni, can have access to their library system. I guess the one resource I have that most people don't is I can often directly ask questions to some of the authors I've had on the show. But beyond that, I don't really, it's really all just 
self-study. So just want to point that out. It's funny, Nancy, about this question. We've had it in the lineup for a long time because I was waiting because I thought the information was going to organically come to me at some point. I feel like it did this week. So I was like, once it comes to me, I was like, I'm going to wait till it comes to me and then I'm going to talk about it. And it came to me this week. So I mentioned this earlier, but I am prepping to interview Chris Masterjohn, who he doesn't have a book or anything, but he has been in the sphere for a long time and he writes very epic blog posts and he does have ebook type things you can buy, but he he really researches nutrients and metabolic health and what's the word for like metabolic systems in the body? I mean, metabolic systems just really just sums it up. It's funny, Jen, because prepping to interview him, I'm just, because normally I'm like focusing on a book, but there's just so much. He's covered everything. Oh, he's like written about everything. Yeah, he's brilliant. I've been reading his stuff for like well before I wrote my first book. It's not like he just writes about everything. He goes really deep in everything and in, in all the different topics. And he gives a perspective that nobody else usually is talking about. We were talking earlier about not knowing what do we know and what do we not know. He always gives it like a new perspective. And I'm like, why have I never heard that before? And that that sounds right. <laughs> like, like um, if that makes sense. So prepping to interview him, I'm like, what what do I talk to him about? I think I'm just gonna talk to him about all the things I you know, presently I'm very fascinated with and would like to know his thoughts on. But in any case, he has been writing a lot actually recently about iron status because he's been looking at a lot of the studies about how COVID affects iron status. And he talks about the mechanisms of action and what is going on there. I think I got a lot of clarity reading it about what might be going on with you, Nancy. Before I answer that, the first resource I went to... I have a question. Does he say that it's better... Because I think I remember reading some stuff about this early, early on in the pandemic. For COVID, is it better to have high iron or low iron? I didn't read about better to the the stuff I was reading. I'm sure he's probably written on it. So that's that's a good question. And I should check it before I interview him. The stuff I was reading was how does COVID affect iron status? So that's a good question, though. For some reason, I seem to, I don't know, it's been, we've had so much over the past few years, for some reason in my head, I feel like I read something early on, I mean, really early on, like 2020, early, 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 that was correlating low iron with better outcomes. I don't know. Because I, I usually have had low iron like Nancy. So for some reason that stuck in my head because I'm like, oh, maybe having low iron is good. I don't know. For COVID. Well, yeah. So what he talks about is how people think that the inflammatory state of COVID would deplete iron, like being an inflammatory state. But actually, and this relates to Nancy's question, inflammation raises a hormone called hepcidin, which is sort of like, it's sort of like the insulin for blood sugar, but it's a regulator of of iron status. I did find a couple of things. The U-shaped association of serum iron level with disease severity in adult hospitalized patients with COVID-19. So a U-shaped curve is interesting. That's like high, you know, too high is not good, too low is no And too low is not good. Right. That's interesting. And again, so much stuff we still don't even know. So I don't want, I'm not like giving medical advice about (laughs) This answer is not to speak to COVID specifically. It's to speak to like the inflammatory state. So in the inflammatory state, so hepcidin goes up, 
hepcidin decreases a, I don't know if it's a hormone as well, I guess so, called ferroportin. And ferroportin is the transporter responsible for transporting iron, both from our food into our bodies and then also in and out of cells. So what happens when we get inflamed, hepcidin goes up, ferroportin goes down, we no longer easily absorb iron from our food. So in an inflamed state, it's likely that we'll have low iron. But what's interesting, and this is what he talks about, this is the um, how it gets more nuanced. So when you get a full iron panel, you measure your basically like your free iron, your iron saturation, your hemoglobin, which is your iron containing auxin transport, metalloprotein in red blood cells, and then your ferritin, which is actually your storage form of iron. So what's interesting is that when your inflammation's up, your hepacidin is up, and your ferroportin transporter is down, not only do you not absorb iron from your food, but you stop moving iron around. It can get locked in your ferritin, which is your storage form, especially if you're in an inflammatory state. The macrophages in the inflammatory state can well, might actually grab the iron and put it into ferritin so that it, because iron is actually very inflammatory. It can create oxidative stress. You don't want a lot of iron. You don't want to have too much. Yeah. That's why it's such a complicated thing. Your body really has to regulate it. And a lot of people, for whatever reason, things get wonky on either side. Yep. There's that U-shaped curve. And by the way, I did find something that sounds like the opposite of what I said before. It just said that severe COVID-19 appears to be characterized by high hepcidin. I don't know how to say that. And marked functional iron deficiency. So that was like, so you don't want to have iron that's too low. Right. And that what you just said is what I was literally just saying. So I'm just, what well, the reason I'm saying it is because what I said seems to be the opposite of the truth. So I wanted to correct it. I just remember reading something early. Lord knows what it was. I mean, it was like, you know, what year is it? It was two years ago. I remember reading something that made me think, oh, maybe low iron isn't bad. Maybe it's protective. But yeah, again, I don't really want to speak to COVID. But I'm really glad you read that sentence because that that actually describes what I was just saying. So basically, in the inflammatory state, you know, COVID would be an inflammatory state. Hepcidin's going up, so you're going to stop absorbing iron. Um, so you're more likely to get deficient. But then what's interesting and what he talks about is, like I said, you, you stop absorbing, but you also kind of trap iron where it is. So people can actually present with having low iron, but high ferritin because the iron's all trapped in their storage form because their body was like, oh, we have to, we got to, you know, get rid of this. So let's put it into ferritin. So it's there. It's just stuck. Yeah. And then you have to deal with getting it out in a healthy way because too much iron is inflammatory. So the point of all of that, and I, I think when I talked to him, oh, this was really interesting. So do you know the way how we get rid of the iron and ferritin? I, I do not. <laughs> Leeches? Is it leeches? No, I'm kidding. I know, I know. I know. Well, probably. <laughs> that might do it. <laughs> Wait, I feel like I might. Give me a minute. I feel like I read something. It's something we talk about a lot, sort of. Go ahead. It's called pharyngeophagy. Is it autophagy? Is it part of autophagy? Is it linked to autophagy? So when the cell runs in low in iron, it sends ferritin, that storage form of iron, into the general autophagy system. 
And so then it breaks down the ferritin in the autophagy system and frees the iron. Isn't that cool? It is very cool. This is, you know how at the beginning of the podcast where we were like, yeah, that's more than I needed to know about stuff. That's where we have the iron. (laughs) It hits home to me because I have had severe anemia in the past. Severe. But you're good now though, right? I am. Actually, I'm posting about it today on my inside tracker. But it's a struggle. Like for people who struggle with iron issues on either side, it's a struggle. Like the solution... If you have iron overload, really the only solution is donating blood. Oh, that's what it was, donating blood. I knew there was something. When I said leeches, it's donating blood, like for real. That is what you do. I was like, I feel like I know it. What is it? Yes, it's donating blood. Duh. I can't believe, <laughs> I can't believe I didn't think of that. That's like practically the same thing as leeches. Well, that, yeah, that's why when you said that, I was like, basically. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Okay. I knew I knew it. I just couldn't remember that I knew it. No, yeah. It, and then on the flip side, the anemia side, and this is something I really want to talk to him about because there's just so many reasons and things that could be happening. Like the thing I want to talk to him about for me is the way I tend to present now because I've been supplementing with grass-fed spleen, which does keep my iron up, but my ferritin, my storage form tends to always be low, and my but my iron saturation will go up really high. So I, I feel like I'm not converting iron to ferritin. So I'm going to ask him about that. All of that to say, oh, to clarify, I do want to clarify, even though I know Jen mentioned that we're like, you know, over a lot of heads <laughs> right now. But um, this is important to, to point out because I did say that ferritinophagy, so autophagy is what digests ferritin, that is not regulated by autophagy. What I mean by that is it's not like you, if you're in a high autophagy state, that you're automatically going to do that process. It's regulated completely by cellular iron status. So what that means is it only does that process when you need to do that process. It's not like, oh, I'm in a high autophagy state. Let's break down all the ferritin. It would do that if you needed iron. So in any case, how this all relates to Nancy's question. It was interesting because I, I pulled up Wim Hof's book because she was talking about doing Wim Hof breathing and the cold showers. And I have had Wim Hof on the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast. I will put a link to that in the show notes. Honestly, listeners, if you want an inspiring episode, that was my most inspiring episode of all time. Wim Hof. Yeah. Followed by Farmer Lee Jones. So I looked at his book to see if he talked about iron status and anemia. I know she didn't mention anemia, but she mentioned low iron. And interestingly, he didn't really talk about it. But the weird thing is there is one sentence about it, but I don't know why he didn't expand on it because the only sentence in the book that mentions anemia is, quote, the connection between tinnitus and the Wim Hof method has various possible causes because he talks about how the Wim Hof method can help tinnitus. He says medical research shows a direct link between pulsatile tinnitus and anemia, which the Wim Hof method may ameliorate through the elevated oxygen intake. So it's really interesting. Basically, he's hinting that the Wim Hof method may help anemia. I don't know why he doesn't expand on it. But the reason I think that, Nancy, this is possibly what might be going on, is in all of Chris Masterjohn's work. So he talks about how to increase iron status when you are in an iron deficient state for whatever reason. And the answer is cooling inflammation. He literally uses that phrase. So combating inflammation is a key to helping iron status, helping your iron numbers. The Wim Hof method, the breathing, the cold showers 
one of the main things that is doing in your body is combating system-wide inflammation. That's the reason I do cold therapy, like cryotherapy. The anti-inflammatory benefits are incredible. So it could have something to do with like the oxygen content, which is in the Wim Hof, what he says in his book. In addition to that, I would really think there could be something going on with it helping your inflammatory status and that helping your iron status. Again, I'm not a doctor, but those are my thoughts. So in summary, yes. (laughs) Possibly. Possibly. Well, she said, could it be? She said, could it be? The answer is yes, it could be. Yes. Very cool. But yes. We don't want to be too low. We don't want to be too high. We want to be just right, like Goldilocks, when it comes to really almost everything. And for supporting your body's handling of iron and having a healthy iron profile, an anti-inflammatory lifestyle is really key for that. And cold exposure, Wim Hof breathing would be great tools for that. So, all right. Shall we do one more question? All righty. All right. So we have one more question. This is from Kathy. The subject is bone broth, collagen, and ketosis complete. Kathy says, hi, I've been doing the IF fast feast repeat for several weeks. Before then, I was doing a keto type program, avoiding sugar and other things. I was drinking a shake with collagen, bone broth, and the ketosis complete. And so I looked this up. I think I found it because I found a product called Ketosis Complete that did have, she says it has BHB, beta-hydroxybutyrate, and a healthy fats blend. But what I was looking at just had BHB. It didn't have a healthy fats blend. So I'm not sure if that was the same thing. Well, maybe just it's her collagen and her bones bro- bone broth and, and added some fats. Maybe she was putting in like healthy fats in addition. Oh, that's possible. Adding fat. Yeah. So she says, I have been fasting clean, averaging 16 to 20 hours per day. And I would like to know if I can have a shake made with these things after I break my fast, or do I have to wait until I have done the full 28 days? Thank you, Kathy. All right. So here's the thing about your eating window. You can have whatever you want in your eating window. So there is no need to wait any time to have anything in your eating window. Like there's not like, here's what you can't have in your eating window during the first 28 days. And here's what you can have after that. So if you have something you would like to enjoy in your eating window, you can do it at any point along the way of your intermittent fasting journey. Now let's talk about this shake and what you need out of that shake. Interesting about collagen. I'm not convinced that we need to ingest collagen. I was having a conversation with someone in the Delayed on Tonight community about this recently. She's a doctor. You know, I am not a doctor. She is a doctor talking about collagen. And you know, she's somebody who I really respect, but she is not a big fan of most of these, you know, quote, products that are out there, you know, with all the health claims. She's not a health claims fan because so many of them are made without any good backing. Collagen is one of those things. When we ingest collagen, our body breaks it down into the the different building blocks. So like just like it does with any protein. So it's not like ingesting collagen and then it's used as collagen. Your body loses the ability to, to create collagen as you get older, but ingesting collagen, it doesn't like just take the collagen and then like stick it places where collagen would be. Am I explaining that well, Melanie? It breaks it down. Yeah. It actually, it has probably more to do with something else Chris Master John talks about, the amino acid profile ratio of found in collagen versus muscle meats. Well, my point being that I'm not convinced that we need to supplement with collagen. That's all I'm saying. 
I've looked at it, you know, all sorts of ways because people are like talking about collagen all the time and they want to have collagen. And I am not convinced that there's a role for me. Let me just say for me, I'm not convinced that supplementing with collagen is going to do anything for me. And really, if you're having trouble with, I don't know, saggy skin and you think that, you know, having collagen will help with that, really, if your body is not good at using collagen or building collagen or whatever the wording really would be. I think I just didn't say it very well, but that's the issue. You know, something like red light therapy can help your body better than drinking collagen. Like there's other ways to get your body to be better at maintaining collagen levels versus intaking it. Hi friends. One of my favorite foods for gut health, skin, cravings, energy, and immunity is definitely bone broth. I and so many of my listeners love bone broth, but it can also be intimidating because it can be hard to find a bone broth that is all natural, organic, free of preservatives, and especially no salt added. Of course, you can always make your own, which I love, but that can be a little bit of a cumbersome process. That's why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty and the Broth. They make it so, so easy to bring bone broth into your life because they ship it in concentrated form in shelf-stable packets. It's easy to store, doesn't take up space, you don't have to worry about keeping it frozen, and then when you reconstitute it with water, you can customize it exactly to your tastes. It is incredible. Beauty and the Broth makes delicious bone broth from vegetarian-fed, free-range chicken bones and USDA-organic, grass-fed, ranch-raised beef. The meat and bones come from certified humane and USDA organic farms, no antibiotics, no hormones. They also use organic vegetables and powerful herbs that are so delicious, all without any added salt or sodium. A lot of the broths on the market are also kettle or pressure cooked, which breaks down ingredient nutrients and reduces their integrity and potency. Beauty and the Broth doesn't do that. They let all of those amazing ingredients slowly simmer for up to 24 hours to create a broth that is super high in naturally occurring collagen and nutrients. Your gut will thank you, I promise. We often get questions about the best way to open your eating window. This is an incredible way to do that. Especially when you're in the fasted state, your gut is super ready to absorb these nutrients and bone broth contains the specific nutrients needed to heal your gut, help with leaky gut, support digestion, and so much more. And when it's cold in the winter months, what tastes better than a warm cup of bone broth? You will notice it in your nails, in your gut health, in your hair, in your improved recovery, increased energy. And did I mention it's so convenient and so easy to use. They've also got a vegan mushroom broth, which is super rich in umami and delicious for all of you vegans out there. And you can get 15% off site-wide. Just go to melanieavalon.com slash broth and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get 15% off site-wide. That's melanieavalon.com slash broth with the coupon code melanieavalon for 15% off site-wide. Friends, if you've been wanting to get on the bone broth train, this is the way to do it. Definitely check it out and we'll put all this information in the show notes. Does that make sense, Melanie? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so... You know, if you love the collagen, have the collagen. You know, bone broth has a lot of healing benefits. I think, you know, we would agree with that. So have the bone broth. Definitely. Bone broth is a great thing. Ketosis complete, any kind of ketone product. I really can't think of any reason why you would have that in your eating window, honestly. I remember reading something, Mark Matz. No, I was listening to him on a podcast. It was Mark Matson, the guy I mentioned earlier. He was from Johns Hopkins. He was talking about taking in ketones that was back when exogenous ketones were like all the rage and everybody was like, you know, making all these claims about them. And he said in the interview, he said, he said he could imagine, I'm going to, I'm paraphrasing and it's been years since I heard this. So I could be getting something wrong, 
but it was something along the lines of he could see a, a mechanism of action where it would actually be detrimental to have ketones, to take in ketones during, you know, in, in the presence of food. Because that's not how our bodies naturally are. And I can't remember the mechanism of action he was talking about because, shoot, I'm not a you know, scientist like he is. But our bodies never have lots of food coming in and ketosis going on. So that's not really a natural state. Ketosis is absence of food. Our bodies, you know, get into ketosis. I just can't think of any reason why you'd want to have that in your eating window. Collagen, up to you. If you feel like it's giving you benefits, you certainly can. Bone broth, I could totally see that. A ketosis product, no, I I just wouldn't. I mean, you can if you really want to. I can't think of a reason why I would, unless you have, you know, Alzheimer's or, you know, seizures and you're having a therapeutic kind of ketone experience. But for the rest of us who are just, no. Anyway, that's how I feel. Let your body make ketones for free during the fast. That's it. First of all, just to discuss a little bit more the collagen versus the bone broth thing, the benefits people turn to collagen for, I think can often be got from a more whole foods synergistic form of bone broth. That's why, and actually today's episode is sponsored in part by Beauty and the Broth, which is one of my favorite bone broth companies. So check out the spot in today's show to um, get the details about that. We have a code for... I think 15% off, but her bone broth is, it it comes in concentrated form. So it ships straight to your door and then you reconstitute it to whatever strength you like with with water. Has no added salt, which is huge. It's organic, delicious. So that might be something to try to, if you want to open your window with something rather than this shake of collagen and exogenous ketones, like Jim was talking about, I would just have some bone broth. And some food. Yeah. Which bone broth, in a way, is a food. And some food along with it, but not, yeah, bone broth is a food. But yeah. I think what Kathy is touching on is, I don't know how common this confusion is out there, but what I'm getting from her question, and possibly there are other people who think this, I think they think, you know, they're doing a keto diet and fasting is creating ketosis. So that means it goes together still. So like they think they still have to do a keto diet with fasting which is not the case. So intermittent fasting does not mandate a keto diet in your eating window. You can do one. You don't have to. Yeah, but you don't have to. There was a period of time where people were really saying that. Like, if you're not doing intermittent fasting with keto, you're wasting your time. I'm like, really? Okay. Well, I guess tell that to my 80 pounds that I lost. That's funny. (laughs) Oh, and when this episode comes out, Melanie, it will be almost exactly my seven-year maintenance anniversary. Seven years of maintaining my weight. In that seven years, was I keto for any of the days? No. Wow. Yeah. So point being, Kathy, is you don't have to be keto in the eating window. And for the BHB exogenous ketones, I, well, (laughs) I did, like I said, I did interview Dom Diagostino and we went into the deepest of deep dives into ketones. Of course, he is more pro exogenous ketones. Is he? Mm-hmm. He thinks you should. Mm-hmm. Well, well, no, no, no. That, sorry, that was a blanket statement. His work in part is clinically studying exogenous ketones and the like, the signaling effects they have and their effects in different therapeutic states. Like you were saying, like it's different for a therapeutic diet addressing a specific issue. Like there are definitely roles for exogenous ketones 
but not for most of us, I think. That's what I really think. And I think if you listen to the episode, which again, it's not out yet, we'll put a link to it in the show notes. I think listening to my conversation with him, he is very pro-exogenous ketones, but for specific situations. And I think listening to it, you don't walk away thinking, I need exogenous ketones. That's not what you walk away thinking. Good. And I actually walked away from that Mark Matson interview, and he's you know a neurological guy. That's his his expertise. I walked away thinking, yeah, we really don't want to have that with food <laughs> for whatever reason. Again, whatever his mechanism was that he talked about. And nobody please ask me to find that because I swear it was like 2017 or something and people were just starting to talk about exogenous ketones and I heard him talking about it on a podcast and I don't even remember who. Yeah. So I'm really excited to air that. That was a moment because I've been following him for so long, so very long. And we talked for two hours. That's like when I interviewed Mark Matson for Intermittent Fasting Stories. It was like surreal. It, it was so exciting. And that one hasn't come out yet. By the time people are listening to this, it hasn't come out yet. But it was so exciting to talk to him because he's just, you know, he knows his stuff. Yeah. I already told you this, Jen, but he was like, yeah, I'm going in a few days to stay with Rhonda Patrick. And I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> so close. <laughs> so, but in any case, Kathy, I hope that helped with your question. But just to go back to it again, like I said, you can have whatever you want in your eating window. And if that shake is something you want and you love it and you want to keep having it and because you feel like it's giving you benefits, have it. Go for it. We're not telling you not to. I just would hesitate on feeling like you needed exogenous ketones, especially in your eating window. That's all. Agreed. All right. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. So a few things for listeners before we go. If you would like to submit your own question for the show, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. The show notes for today's episode will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 256. Those show notes will have a full transcript, so definitely check that out. And then you can follow us on Instagram. I am Melanie Avalon, Jen is Jen Stevens, and I think that is all the things. Alrighty. I just want to say I'm so happy we got to that iron question. I've, it's been like hanging over me for months. I was like, I will. it'll come to me. Awesome. And I'm glad we talked about it. And I'm glad I was able to research and find more answers because <laughs> I just, it was so long ago that I read that article. I was like, I got to look this up a little bit more. So, all right. Well, anything from you, Jen, before we go? No, I think that's it. Talk to you soon. Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, everything we discussed on this show does not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. If you enjoyed the show, please consider writing a review on iTunes. We couldn't do this without our amazing team. Administration by Sharon Merriman. Editing by Podcast Doctors. Show notes and artwork by Brianna Joyner. Transcripts by Speech Docs. Theme music by Leland Cox. See you next week.